Hello, everyone. Welcome to In Focus, sponsored by Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry. My name is Dr. David Clay. It's a pleasure again to join you today or join with you today on In Focus. In Focus, as uh, for our regular listeners, is about, uh, as they already know, is about uh, what we do to help individuals cope with day-to-day situations and circumstances. Sometimes they're problems, sometimes there's just normal situations and circumstances. Uh, but we do that in such a way that we try to apply God's Word, what we know uh, the Bible would tell us, uh, as much as what God's virtue and character is, but also what the Holy Spirit, as a living Word within us, would uh, give us guidance, leading, unction, as they say, uh, to do. Uh, we share those stories, uh, certainly on In Focus, the program. We do that in the counseling sessions. Uh, but we can't help but to uh, find ourselves oftentimes somewhat limited. <laughs> now, again, not that God's Word would in any way, shape, or form be limiting or limited or restricted in its ability or capability of helping. God's there. He gave us His Word for that purpose. Uh, certainly, the Old Testament is uh, adequate, if I could even get away with saying that, uh, to the extent or degree that it gives us a very clear definition of who God is, what He wants, what His desires are for us, how He wants us to conduct and lead our life. But even so, the context, the circumstances of the New Testament, the situations and circumstances, again, are in many ways vastly different. In many ways, they're very much the same. Uh, there's always going to be human struggle uh, with iniquity and sin, the human nature, the human character, which is fallen. That's all in the Bible. It's Bible-based. What I'm saying is Bible-based. It's just very, again, basic uh, to our understanding of our need for salvation in Jesus Christ. But particularly the Old Testament, though, was set in a time and a place that's very different than the world we live in today. I think many Christians oftentimes overlook, probably, let me broaden that a bit, not only Christians, I think individuals in general overlook the most important features of our iniquity and sin and why Jesus Christ can save not only then but now because they're too preoccupied with just that fact, that it is so different. Oh, it was a different time. Knowledge was different and limited. Uh, humans were somewhat primitive in their con concepts, conceptualization of the world. Uh, science wasn't uh, to the place it is today. Uh, we've grown so much, etc., etc., etc. Now, again, all of that is true. And as much as, again, culture does play a role, and we'll discuss that hopefully a little more later on in the program today, we don't want to miss the fact. We don't want to run that same risk of overlooking the fact that Jesus saves because God is not bound to situations and circumstances. Now, the presentation might be the Old Testament was presented in such a way that it was, again, part of the definitions. When God showed himself to the people in the Old Testament, he did so based on what they knew, which included cultural variables, 
it was earth and heaven and the natural dimensions, most of which we share in that way, the same today as they did then. Uh, Certainly, there's much to be said about uh, population of the earth and climate and change and such. But for the most part, the sun still comes up and goes down. And with that, then, the same physical sort of laws of the universe are applicable. Uh, The Old Testament is not void those. However, God had to present such to those people of the Old Testament in a way or a manner or by which, means by which they could comprehend him. So it's to speak to their very circumstance. Now, once more, just as there are physical laws that define the universe in physical dimension, there are spiritual rules, definitions, and laws. Again, we call those God's virtue and character. It is about how he has creative power, how he sees the world in terms of his thoughts and his mind and his intentions, how he has programmed life into every inanimate object, or as he has programmed that into them, as they come to life, it keeps them, it sustains the life that is within them, it animates them. But the material, the dynamics of the material world really are are not necessarily those things that dictate creativity. Although, even as I'm thinking about it, presenting it to you right now, I guess a good case could be made, though, that it is still the very same thread that binds it all together physically and metaphysically, in a physical context as well as supernatural context. It is, again, this very creative, powerful dynamic of God's virtue and character that breathes life into the inanimate, the material existence, but it is the same pretty much as we think about it, as I'm thinking about it right now, whether we look at it physically or or supernaturally. Maybe that makes my point. If we look at it physically, we run the risk of missing that. Oh, well, this thing did that, or these two things kind of occurred at the same time, situation, circumstance, These things were going on at the same time, or or these uh, same sort of uh, props, I'll put it that way, Uh, as much with like uh, setting up or staging. All this was happening in that same sort of way. So these two things must have either been bound in some manner or maybe cause and effect. But the true cause and effect is more spiritual and supernatural, whether once more. We measure it in physical dimensions, but certainly we see that in a spiritual sort of way. What it takes to create life and what it takes to bring life into existence, though those things themselves are not bound to the physical, that's the way to say it, nonetheless still are definitions for the physical. We just have a very difficult time seeing it. And if we're not careful, we run the risk of overlooking it, maybe because it's the one thing that is right there, so to speak, before our very eyes, but the one thing that unless we have spiritual eyes, we are totally incapable of seeing it. Now, I can call your awareness to it, such as what we're doing today on In Focus. These things are happening, but they're caused by a power a dynamic, I say dynamic, a process, 
It's even hard to put human words to it. What is it? It's much like Jesus, as he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, or discussing these things, such things as these, with the Samaritan woman at the well. Those that worship God worship him in spirit and truth. She was still thinking she had to go to a particular place, be in a particular building. Uh, I guess properly so, because that's from which God had decided to reveal and dispense himself, reveal himself and then show himself, give to himself or give himself to the world. But Jesus was trying to tell her, wait a minute, you're confusing the situation and the circumstance, the prop, the, the staging with the real power. Those things are sort of important if for no other reason than we're humans. And that's all that we can see and measure. We can just do those things that otherwise our eyes and ears and mind can either measure, uh, symbolize, put together in some sort of symbolic form, manipulate, move around. Uh, again, this whole idea of thought, that's what thought basically is. We name it, we create a concept, we then employ imagination and reasoning and rationality and logic, really all that goes into the empirical model. And then we come up with conclusions. But as far as I know, to this very day, no one has seen God qualifier, except that they have seen Jesus. And why is Jesus so important? Because he brings God, in the same way we were talking about it this morning or today, into the natural context. Now, if you just look at Jesus superficially and the situations and circumstances and all the things that culture and environment played into the life of Christ during the time that Jesus was on earth, you might say, well, he was just a man, which is true. He had flesh, but he wasn't just a man. He was God in a man's body in human form. He was influenced by those things in the same sort of way that God was influenced by those same things in the same sort of way that he created us and he knew where we were when he stopped Abraham, really when he gave to Moses the stories that tells us from Genesis all the way through to Exodus. He tells us the Pentateuch. He tells us the story of the beginning of time but God did that in a manner so that we could understand it. He had to translate it in a way that included our situations and circumstances. But it wasn't Moses that thought up God. It wasn't Moses. And Moses was a smart guy. He was probably as learned. He had the highest educational qualifications that were available to anyone at that time. He studied in the house of Pharaoh. He had access to the most knowledgeable men on earth at the time. Egypt was a cultural mecca, as they say, and uh, might say. Jesus was, not Jesus, but Egypt was that place where everything that was anything that was current, that was the best available to humankind, was probably taking place. So Moses knew a lot. But Moses did not know who God was, not truly, 
He could, again, conceptualize him in human terms. He could think of him in regards to what Moses' tradition as a Hebrew, as God had given the Hebrew people up to that point, what he knew of from that unwritten but not necessarily unspoken legacy, tradition, teaching. But what he could not do was he could not see God. And even so, he went on the mountaintop. He could not see God. He came into the presence of God, but it was as with a a burning bush. Now, God may be a burning bush. My inclination is to believe he's not. I don't know all that God is. My guess is he probably doesn't even have the need for physical dimension, or possibly he has physical expression or dimension. It's just everything is God, and in that it's pretty impossible to stereotyping particularly since the creative dynamic, again, dictates that it's constantly changing in a natural context. So if God has a face, it's everything. If if God has a face, it's constantly changing. But the one thing we know, though, more than what the expression of God is, what Moses discovered on the mountaintop was God is, as Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, spirit and truth. Now, if we live by spirit and truth, thus, then we probably will always recognize God. However, if we choose to chase down from the outside almost in, if you allow me to say it that way, we're going to have to be very, very careful that we don't confuse the situation, circumstances, even so, the facts with the truth. Those are, those are facts. Our body can, again, in a sensory sort of way, only measure facts, and then only in a limited capacity. What our human senses can provide for us, the registry, the, the, the way that we register those experiences. But thankfully, though, as much as that's all true, if we listen unto God as he presents even those things, as we begin to see the world in those terms and recognize, yes, there are physical laws that define the universe. But even more, as we begin to truly appreciate God not necessarily bound to physical dimension or terms because there's a lot of things that are alive and and have absolutely positively from the outside in seemingly no connections. But if you begin to look at it from the inside out, as much as I'm trying to explain it on the program today, you begin to realize you have to understand spirit and truth first so that you can then properly see how it's all connected. I will go back, don't necessarily think I need to correct, but just to kind of refine a bit more a point I made earlier. Maybe another way, or points I made earlier, maybe another way of saying this would be that we can see it's all connected, but we have no idea how it's connected. Maybe we could say, well, everybody obviously knows there must be something that connects it all, But because we can't measure it in physical terms, we don't know it, we run the risk of, again, overlooking it. Or maybe because it does connect everything together at all times, we take it for granted. 
overlook it, take it for granted. It's there we don't pay attention to. We don't recognize not only it, but God and his Holy Spirit. What Jesus did was pointed out that God is a spirit and truth first, having then material manifestation. Jesus was not a man first. Get that? He was God first in spirit and truth. God put him into a human body in spirit and truth and through Mary. And with that, as he was born with physical dimension, he, however, never lost sight that he was spirit and truth first. Thus, he was bound to the rules, which really, again, we've already established, govern all existence, physical and metaphysical, natural and supernatural. He never lost sight of that, though he did go through bodily stages, physical stages. He was an infant. He grew through childhood, through adolescence, young adulthood to be an adult. And no doubt, even as all humans have certain restrictions, not that they could not or would not, but restrictions on how in a physical dimension they might register spirit and truth, who God is, I'm sure Jesus had some of the same experience. But because he remained spirit and truth first, whether it was, again, out of some unction, it have to be, right? The brain development would dictate at some point Jesus could have only understood what his brain in human form, human manifestation, could uh, tell him, conceive of, share with him, inform him, talk to him. And by the way, we all talk to ourselves. We don't do it in the way that I'm talking to you. We do it with thoughts, but it's still, nonetheless, language and communication. But the point I'm chasing down here, though, is that it had to be something within him. I said at the very start of the program... There is the written biblical word, and then there is the living word. It just takes humans to get to adulthood before we could register it. Now, does it mean that the word isn't there? No. Does it mean that the word doesn't influence? No. Does it mean that the child or the infant isn't of spirit and truth? No, 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 no. What it does mean, though, is that although those things are most important Those things do then dictate not only realities, take the facts of the material life and form them into narrative, into paradigm, into solid empirical theory, what life really is about, how science really works. God is a spirit and truth. He then dictates how through process, through his creative dynamic, how he speaks things into existence, how Moses had to go up on the mountaintop and ask God literally so, show me your virtue, your nature. Show me your glory. Because Moses, though he was a very learned and wise man in human regard, still lacked the spiritual understanding at that point in his maturation and development 
to be able to conceive of God, to be able to really understand God, to be able to really appreciate spirit and truth. Now, you could argue, well, Moses was an adult. He had passed through childhood and adolescence. He had gone through a young adulthood. But how many of us today, because we have been uh, unfortunately acculturalized, we put it that way, um, socialized, brought up and taught traditions by some people who don't even believe in God in a culture that may not even reflect godliness, one that's gone wild astray, out wild like out into the wilderness and gone astray, is moving every moment of every day further and further away from spirit and truth. Why? Because we don't live a life of reality anymore. We're insulated. There's too much that we have to our availability in a material way that we don't have to deal with God. Well, we do. But we can delay that. We can sort of pretend like it's not there. God's grace and mercy again, his his benevolence unto us, his love for us, because he has blessed us, because somebody before us knew him well enough that the blessing was given unto them, we still enjoy that legacy. But at some point, when we stop listening to God, when we stop adhering to the, the same supernatural spirit law that otherwise governs the physical, we call them the physical laws because we only see them in physical dimensions, but it's the same law. It's just coming from a spiritual aspect. It's coming from within us. God put it in us. Like he's, again, put it into everything that's alive. The further we move away from that, the more our conscience becomes either hardened or heart-hardened or conscience-seared, we're going to be turned over to a reprobate mind because we have lost all common sense. Nobody's living... I should be careful. There's but lesser and lesser that are living in a real world. It's all pretend. We've gotten away with it. God's been kind to us, merciful to us. He keeps calling us back. But even today, the word is not a strong word, even if it comes from those individuals that God had historically placed there, put in positions, created these institutions, this, these places where we're supposed to be taught, socialized, acculturalized. In the word of God, they're not preaching the word. <laughs> they're preaching to as the word would say, itching ears. Jesus came so that there would be on record for all who would care to read it, to study it, what it is to be an adult. Moses, though he was developmentally in a physiological sense, mature enough, he was still under the sway of ignorance. He was still suffering from the curse of Adam and Eve. It would not be until Jesus came that that curse could be broken, but it was not so much God placing a curse on as much as it was because of Adam and Eve's biting into whatever the forbidden fruit was, as with material manifestation, no doubt. Maybe even that's what happened. Maybe it wasn't a, the particular tree 
regardless of what the fruit was, it was that it just so happened she was eating it, and at the time she realized, I'm going to die. Everything in a physical context, a natural context, dies. Now, if you've not accepted that, then I feel really, really bad for you. You should call us. You should read God's word. You should go talk to somebody that you identify as wise because they're going to tell you that. Science tells you that. But the devil tricked her into believing there's some connection in a material way that these things correlate, but it wasn't true. It wasn't according to truth, spirit and truth. God, it was the best Eve could conceive of in her immaturity. Moses was still thinking as a child. He was still conceiving of the world as immature, with immaturity. The Apostle Paul says, as with seeing through a glass darkly. But with Christ, we get to see it not only clearly, darkly, not being able to see clearly, fuzzy. Now we can see it clearly, but we can still be easily tricked. Maybe it's still the devil. Maybe it's just a cultural effect. Maybe it's still that legacy for some individuals, some cultures, some societies, some peoples, those that choose not to read the Word of God, those that choose to read the Word of God but not really allow it to bring forth out of them the living Word, the Holy Spirit. They deny, they walk away. Maybe it's some who have known but in frustrations, challenges of life, again, the same sorts of things that bring people to see us. I said at the beginning of the program, this is how we help them, trying to bring some immediate sort of context to it, how it helps in an immediate sort of way, the Word of God. But more than anything, you need to realize that your situations and circumstances are much more changeable that many people would care to believe, except that we don't challenge them or we allow them to lead us rather than the spirit and truth that is God to lead us. And we stay not only bound by those same paradigms or thoughts that were once maybe immature and God could say, well, they're just immature or the process had not fully played itself out until Jesus came so that we could see it with such clarity. But, you know, now we have no excuse. We're either in denial or as with denial, there's always an element of choice. We're choosing not to live by spirit and truth. We want to make it up. We want to change the facts, the narrative. You can't change the facts, but we can change the way that they connect. We think we're God. We think we're gods, and we can change reality. No, you cannot do that. It may take a while before the consequences come home, before we finally, as come home, come to us, but we finally will one day be face-to-face with reality. And reality is, if you continue to go down this road that I'm describing, it ends in nothing but destruction. It gets worse with every generation rather than better. If we grew up, now we're regressing. 
But in our regression, we can actually end up, and that's what the word says, worse than what we had before because we've disregarded the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the Holy Spirit again? If God is spirit and truth, then the Holy Spirit, his virtue and character, what Moses saw on the mountaintop, or at least learned by when God gave him, we spoke to him, gave him the Ten Commandments, he discovered this is something more than physical. This is something more than all the knowledge of the world. This is something more than Egypt. Being in Pharaoh's house could have taught me. This is something more than even my Hebrew culture and uh, peoples could have ever shared or brought me to by being part of that gener- those peoples, and in particular that generation, that God had brought to a place of sharing that word with the world, to tell the world this thing that we're talking about this morning. That's the promised land, not necessarily physical dimension. All of it could be promised land, but the promise is the word is in us, spirit and truth, and is there because God placed it there before we even knew it was there, that we have taken all these years to discover it being there, and that the world around us, those that are lost, unfortunately, continue to hinder our awareness or achievement of that insight. They discourage us. That's not that way. Men aren't really genetically men. They get to choose what gender they are. Women aren't genetically women. It's not by some proclamation. It's not by some order. Uh, Whether it's adaptive or maladaptive, you can decide yourself. Now, I pick that only because that seems to be one of the most obvious kind of problems. We're all confused. Families are falling apart. Everybody's saying, well, I'm this, I'm that. No, you're this, you're that. Nobody knows how to fit together. And yes, I can make it just a matter of sociology. I can make it a matter of convenience. We could say, well, that's the whole point. Do away with all the rules. You do with all the rules and then we'll all get along. No, 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 no. You will never get along because then you'll have a million and million and million and million and so on and so forth. God's all over the world. Nobody's going to get along. You have to have something, namely spirit and truth, that dictates God is spirit and truth. He speaks in multiple dimensions. Yes, Old Testament culture is not necessarily the same as the culture we live in today. Society has changed. Humans have, for lack of a better word, evolved or developed, if you don't like the notion of evolution because you think of it as as something more species-specific. But just over time, there's more that we have learned and are actualized in matured. That's the boy I should say it. But at the same time, though, we have to realize, though we're living in a time that's different, does not mean though spirit and truth is out the window. It cannot be overlooked without a consequence. Try to live with somebody who does not agree with you on anything. It's very difficult. Oh, well, that's the ultimate of forgiveness. It is. It is ultimate forgiveness, but it's got no basis. It's not going anywhere. 
It's just falling apart. And thankfully, aren't we so? Thankfully, God hung the planets, the stars, the universes, the galaxies. He put it all together so it stays there. We need that. Anarchy is just a ridiculous notion. Nobody could live in a condition of anarchy. And if you did, it would just be that. Pure luck. There is no such thing as pure luck because what is intentioned by spirit and truth dictates in a consistent way, no matter where you are, what culture you're in, no matter what point in your life you might be, child, infant, child, adolescent, young adult, adult, it still will have its perfect and complete work. Is it going to be always the same when it's seen within a physical developmental context with the same answer? No. Again, people mature, that's true. But that's also why it's really important that we keep teaching the word, use it for corrective purposes. Now, some people get offended that I'm trying to apply such thoughts to adults. Well, they're adults. They can make the decisions. That's true. Everybody can make a decision. From the moment that you're born, you begin to make decisions. Nobody can make anybody do anything. But what is also equally true, though, is there's some adults, if not as I'm presenting it on the program today, a whole bunch of people who are acting immature as children. Somebody needs to step in and say, from, uh, again, an authoritative, not authoritarian, a very loving, very but very straightforward. I, you know, I'm going to use the word because I don't think these two worlds uh, are different. I think the devil's convinced us that they are from a very empirical and scientific basis. People aren't even living by the standard of science anymore. They're making up findings to fit their narratives. They don't even look for the facts, or if they find facts, they don't look for any sort of truth in them. They don't do any real research anymore. Not everybody. I overgeneralize. But there's so much of that, at least at the mass cultural level, we see indications of that every day, and it seems to be getting worse. Judges don't judge anymore based on constitution or law, they make up laws as they go along, and then they try to impose them on people who don't agree with them. Why? Because they're made up. Now, I'm going to have a right, I think, to be somewhat offended if a judge passes a different sentence on me that he has on somebody else. Why? Because it was his prerogative, he felt, to judge it subjectively, not objectively, not with precedence in mind, but subjectively. And we see that going on every day, maybe only on the national stage. But I think to ask anybody that's had to have some sort of legal interaction with authority, legal authority, police, magistrate, county judge, municipal judge, Supreme Court, state level, take it to the Supreme Court, national level, they have dissensions every day, five, whatever the numbers, I think there's three versus two, whatever the numbers on the Supreme Court, I think it's five. But the point of it is, though, it can't be just a matter of democracy or opinion, and even if you don't like that, the findings, you can overthrow that. 
you could say, well, that's still wrong because I'm right. How do I know I'm right? Because I have a right to believe whatever I want to believe. But if it isn't objective, if it isn't empirical, if it isn't scientific, if it isn't something that otherwise God has given us along the lines, God created those things, empiricism and science, he gave us that thought. If you who are humanistic out there right now want to know where all that come from, read your histories and systems courses and studies and books, and you'll discover all of that came from the word of God. Over the years, it's been humanized, and over the years, someone has found it convenient to try to separate it from the Word of God or from religious context, which I don't know that I'm offended so much by the idea of religious context, because religion really isn't spirit and truth. It's much more inclined to be denominational issues, the traditions of men. Now, I can get that too. My family has traditions, but when I put a tradition ahead of the word of God, or as the word of God was given unto not only Moses, but only the writers of the Old Testament, but even as we've said, Jesus came and brought that forth in him to demonstrate how to live by that, the living word that comes, the spirit and truth that comes from within, so that those of the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament also were inspired of this spirit and truth, so should we, and we cannot deny that, lest we run the risk of ending up in, I don't know, you know, I'm going to say hell, but the minute I say that, oh, you're religious. No, 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 no. Hell is an awful place. And though we are not in it now, clue you in, you might think you are, it's worse when you leave this world. Heaven Oh, there we go again. Now you're getting religious. Now you're getting into that territory. Now we're getting into all these opinions. No, all I'm trying to say, though, is if you align yourself properly with God, you're still going to have struggles in this life. Things are still going to happen. Hopefully, though, we won't get all of the pushback, the negativity from those that don't believe in God. We won't get attacked right or left for being ignorant and stupid and people who are immature. No. We know the Word of God. The Word of God is empiricism, but science practiced humanism, or I should say humanism practiced science, does not include anything beyond what humans can measure. And we all have already established that. We all know that is severely restricted. So what does that got to do with counseling and people come in to see me? I let them know. Don't base your decisions on anything that's necessarily going on around you. Let's collect the facts. But we need a paradigm. We need to be empirical. We need to be objective. We need to take advantage of all that science has proven. The physical laws, we've already said this. I corrected, sort of corrected. I refined. I'll say it that way. My own opinion earlier on the program they're no different. The physical and the spiritual laws that govern, we just measure them differently. You see them only in physical terms. The Old Testament was bound to see them only in physical terms because Jesus Christ had not yet come to set free the Holy Spirit within. 
All who would believe in him, why believe in him? Because he was God in flesh. He came from God. He was spirit and truth first, took on human dimension and form, but never lost it, never lost sight of it, moved through all the stages of development. Kudos, congratulations to his parents. They must have raised him well. He was his, his cousin was John the Baptist. What can I say? He was called to a particular time and place in history, human history. Nonetheless, what he did more than even in human terms, he did in spiritual terms by showing us in as much we could conceive of them, as much as we could register them in human dimensions, that the Holy Spirit was in us. And if we believe in him... If we trust that what I'm saying, what the Word of God is saying is true, once we begin to accept that, we begin to hear that Him inside of us. It's a voice. It matches up to the written Word of God because that's validity. It will never lead you in the wrong direction. It may lead you down a path that you say, well, that does not seem right. But then, again, we're talking about the natural world. Things change constantly. Now, am I saying break the laws that we know? The general, the Ten Commandments that Moses, God, gave him on the mountaintop? No. Abide within and by them. But even if they should be broken, the process, the spirit and truth of God, the creative dynamic is always about resurrection and restoration. If you abide in it, God can take anything and make something out of it. He puts that spirit in you. Whatever people have given you, whatever your circumstances of life have given you, whatever your physical body, which is, again, physical, has left you with, take that and make something good out of it. You don't have to do it of yourself. Rest in God. The process is true. It is spiritually always there. We just overlook it because we can't see it. My job is to continue to be empirical, to apply that virtue and character of God, his mind, to situations in life so that we can come up with answers. Is it going to fix it all overnight? No. But when you leave, not only the counseling session, but when you go and take it home, it begins to immediately bear witness to you that you're doing the right thing. How? You know, in the same way. I I say, you know, it's, it's the same as your conscience. For those of you who might have still have one left, when you do the right thing, how do you feel? You feel good. Just make sure that your conscience is calibrated well to the Word of God and make sure that you're not allowing somebody else to come in and try to change your views, your opinions, not for the sake of not getting along or not not because we don't want you to get along, but because somebody else who you know doesn't listen to God, who you know isn't empirical, who you know is in some la-la land, fantasy world is trying to tell you what's real. If you don't stand up for it, if you don't abide in the word, 
it will be taken from you just as it's been taken from them. We're not to kick people out. We're not to reject people. We're not to say, don't hang out with me. We're not to say, I don't want to be your friend. What we're to say, though, is you have to realize to be my friend, you have to be a friend of God. That's just the way it is. But you don't want to be a friend of anything else if that means death. Adam and Eve, again, getting back to the curse, that was their curse. That the devil did a great job of convincing them God had lied. No, God never lies. But if you continue to believe that lie, the father of all lies, that God's not true, you're heading for not only death, but you're heading for not only self-destruction, but you're heading for eternal damnation. There's no place for you in the living if you're dead. So... <laughs> Anybody who otherwise might be struggling a bit with pressures, that feeling that somehow they can't find an answer, that there's no righteousness to be found in this world, that, that we live in a culture and a society where nobody's making any sense anymore, and you need to find an answer. Why? Because you believe in God. Why? Because you believe Jesus Christ. You need an answer for your own physical saving, but more... You simply want to do God's will, that's where you need to come see us, or at least come visit us. We're going to be truthful with you. We're going to be straight up with you. We're not going to hide the truth, but we're going to do it in love. But again, as much as you would want to receive, that's what I'll give. But don't come see me if you don't expect to get better. Because if you have any less of an expectation, I can only work with what you give me. I won't be mean to you. I won't be critical of you or the way you're thinking necessarily. I might. I probably will be. But I'll do it in a kind way. But if you're really not sincere about understanding not only empiricism, knowing what is right and best to do in the context of counseling and, and more the uh, scientific side of that, more so even the spiritual pastoral side of that when it comes to the word of God and application of that word in your life, you probably should go see somebody else. However, on the chance that you might want to, I'm going to give you a number. It's 304-528-9220. 304-528-9220. Again, my name is Dr. David Clay. It's Covenants, Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry. You can find us on Google at covenantschristiancounseling.com. Give us a call. Reach out to us. We'd love to help. Again, more than even that, though, I'd really love to have you come back and join us again on In Focus once more, brought to you by Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services, Christian Counseling Ministry. Thanks.